This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. This week's podcast is an exploration, I think is the better term, between myself and two of my good friends regarding the way that men deal, or should I say don't deal, with health problems. Instead of dealing with them, we bury the symptoms, and as you will hear in Andy's song later, we don't get rid of them by burying them, we just drag them along behind us. So, here's a conversation with myself... Andy and Stephen, and I will, without any further ado, allow Andy to introduce himself. So, Andy Whitehouse, I'm um, in my mid-fifties, and I work as a resilience team leader uh, for a program called Drinkwise Age Well, uh, which is about reducing alcohol-related harm and uh, enhancing the capacity of individuals and the community to be resilient to some of the changes your face as life goes past the half century mark right i also know you're a musician and a damn good one too because i'm actually going to mix some of your music into this into this track so we'll be hearing from andy whitehouse later andy you you're here because you had a heart problem Mm -hmm. so one of the things that we wanted to talk about all three of us here is that Men don't talk about their health normally. Yeah. Uh, we tend to cover up symptoms that we ought to take notice of. And I'm going to ask you whether you did that in the first place. How, how did you become aware of the fact that you had a heart problem? Uh, well, I was born with um, a heart defect. But I, and I had some surgery as a small child. But was discharged at 16, I think, on the basis that they'd done, you know, that I was fine. And the, the sounds that they could hear were just the kind of um, the kind of uh, marks left by the the surgery, you know, the, the sort of unevenness of the artery and so on. But uh, and then it was only I'd probably be in my late thirties, early forties maybe, and I went for a, a little minor op, and uh, the anaesthetist came around, checked me over, and said, "You there's something not right here." And with modern imaging techniques, they found out I've got a bicuspid aortic valve, which they now know is a regular corollary of the thing that I had as a small child, which was a narrowing of the aorta. What is a bicuspid valve? Uh, a bicuspid valve is basically a heart valve should have three kind of gates, three doors that are allowing blood through and then closing behind to stop the blood regurgitating back. But my aortic valve, one of the four valves, had only got two of those doors and not three. So the two are having to work to the job of three and inevitably they wear out quicker. So, had you had any physical effects of this? Had you anything you could relate to? No, I didn't see myself as having any health problems particularly. I used to walk dogs every day and all that sort of stuff. Didn't see it as a problem. But then they started monitoring me on the basis that there was a chance that, that the valve would start to deteriorate and they'd need to do something a little bit more intrusive than just keep an eye on me. And I kind of fell out of the schedule for um, uh, for checkups. I let them forget me and kind of ignored it, partly because I knew that I'd have to have an MRI scan and I'm really claustrophobic and I hated the idea of having an MRI scan. So I went for one and bottled it and I thought, right, I'm going to keep a low profile from now on. 
because I don't fancy that. And then my partner and then her, both her and her son were saying to me, you, this isn't right, this isn't, you're not well. And I was just putting it down to stress or uh, maybe at the time I was drinking too much or, you know, being busy. People are always saying to me that I'm really busy, although I never think I am particularly. And, and so I was kind of writing it off. So basically an appointment came through out of nowhere. They'd had a cancellation and realised that they'd missed me off the register for quite some time. And I determined that I would take my partner with me to demonstrate to her that there was nothing wrong with me. Within about 14 seconds of them starting the ultrasound scan, I, I was aware that they thought there was something really wrong. And, and so it proved the valve was shot. And you've been doing the man thing all this time. Yeah, very More or less, so. you know, turning a blind eye to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was talking to someone about... about um, uh, I was doing a, a mental health uh, thing with mine the other day and um, about about masculinity and, and how we hide things. And I was brought up to not moan about, you know, get on with it, get to school, all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, I broke my back, falling off a cliff and carried on going to work after the first few days. Just took like quite a lot of painkillers, like a lot of painkillers. Um, but it was only several weeks later when I was thinking, this does hurt and it's not going away. And I went to see someone and they said, oh, you've uh, broke your back. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, I've always thought I was a bit of Nesh because my dad was always like, come on, get in there, get in there, get out. You know, cold shower kind of routine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of ignored it. And I, was, I kind of always wanted it to be something else. I didn't want it to be my heart. I didn't want, you know, like who says, oh, do you know I'm going to do this summer for a couple of weeks? I'm going to have heart surgery. You know, like no, like, <laughs> no, one, no one ever... Well, that is, it's never the prize on sale of the century back in the day, was it? No, it was like, no. Oh, look what you're going on, you know, bullseye. Soon have a week in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you don't have most things. So I just always kind of just hoped it would go away, hoped I'd outlive it, hoped something else would knock me out first or, or something, you know. Right, well, uh, I'd like to let our second participant introduce himself. Uh, Stephen Mellor, I'm a writer. Uh, I'm not a musician, so you're not going to hear anything from me later on. Oh, you, you're wrong there. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Singing in the shower again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's me. Right. Well, Stephen's a writer. Uh, Stephen and I have worked together with his novel, and I have some of Stephen's spoken word actually on the site already, and I'm going to use some of that in the middle of this podcast. So, uh, Stephen, you, you've also been touched by heart problems but in a tangential way in a, yeah, in a different my way my dad to... dropped dead very early 60s with a heart attack and I guess that's the that in terms of heart that's that's the connection I lost my partner to cancer very suddenly as well uh, early 40s so it's um, I don't really know what else you want me to say I mean personally there's not a lot which isn't working well it feels like at the moment you know I'm that I go back, to, you know, I refer back to yourself, Andy, about the whole, the man thing is you just get on with it. Pain makes you alive, you know, mm. pain gives you a reason to say, yes, I'm here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and therefore, when I sort of, you know, if I could sit here and list everything that's happened to my body over the years, it's, you know, it's a, it's a ridiculously long list, but you, you keep going. You, you go, yes, I'm a man, I'm, I'm meant to have pain somewhere, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and I think at the moment that you... I always saw it that as a as a young man, the moment you embrace the fact that, yeah, I might have a bit of an arm dropping off, but I can keep going and all the yeah. rest of it. It yeah. kind of like made you something that you 
you know, ready to follow in your father's footsteps yeah. almost. Well, talking about your father's footsteps, was there anything looking back that you can see that led up to this heart attack? Was there any awareness of anything I mean, that might have been wrong? In the, I would say in a couple of years beforehand, maybe more. I wasn't. I mean, I'd been away at university. I was still a young man when it happened, and yeah, probably this is probably better. Uh, my mother's probably a better place to, to answer that question, but. Uh, I knew he had an, angina, I knew he had been told to lose some weight and take, get walking more, etc. He'd always been a really fit man, he'd played lots of football, he'd been a local referee right into his 50s. And he, So in my mind he was always, you know, this nothing was going to knock this fella down because of everything I'd seen him do, you know, through his life. I'd seen him play football, I'd seen him referee, you know, I'd played football against him and all the rest of it and he'd clattered me on many occasions it felt like in that game. <laughs> this was a man that, he was an ox. In, in yeah. so many ways and I never thought it never would ever would have occurred to me leading up to the, the, the day he died that there, there was something here there was something there that was going to stop him never yeah. ever went through my mind even you know knowing that he had to hand Gino a couple of you know before, a couple of years yeah. before but since that time has it made you uh, more aware of your own mortality? Is it something that you I, I think having kids makes you aware constantly. of your mortality first and for, first and foremost, and then when they grow up and then they start, you know, talking about eventually having grandchildren of their own, having children of their own, is that the, 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 the question of mortality? I think I mean I'm early fifties, so I don't think the question of mortality ever then starts to go away. It, it's something in your mind that um, you've almost crossed a threshold, haven't you? And, you, and you're heading yeah. somewhere else. I've had various scares along the way. Strangely enough, I, I, I'm not had anything, thankfully, with, to do with my heart, touch wood, but it's, um, I had a, a, my gallbladder out, and gallstones has the exact same symptoms. We were saying, um, Stephen, uh, that you, you sort of had no inkling that this sort of thing might happen to your father because yeah. it, was, it was a bit like an ox. Um, do you remember the effect it had on the immediate family? It's very hard not to. It's very hard not to because it, it just devastated. It devastated the family. I mean, my mother is a resilient woman, just and you can throw in you know all sorts of other anal- um, ways of describing her. But she is, she's an ox as well. And I, oh, she's not going to like me for that one. But you know, you know there was some. My mother's eighty three now. She goes. She, she lives half the year in France. She drives down there by herself. She's just had a new hip. She's had three new knees. I think it is. You know. <laughs> Over the course of her life, I don't know what's going to stop her. So somehow she she just went into that. I don't, I, from a, from a, from a, a, a I suppose a, a lad born in the sixties, you cannot want to say she kind of went into the, the the blitz mentality to just get on with it. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it was the same with me. It was just uh, whatever feelings are there, go in a box, go under the bed, I'll deal with them later on, there's plenty to be doing, I had to take over his position in the, in the family business, I did all sorts of, you know, you just got on, and I suppose at the time, all the time, you know that there is some shadow missing, you know, in every room that you then go into, because he's not there, but you just don't look in that direction, you keep going, and then eventually... Certainly, it was it was for me. I can't really speak for my mother. I think, you know, go back to this. She she's got this this strength of character which uh, you can't fail but to admire when you're around her. But certainly with me, the the, the you know what, what I kept putting in the box and kept shivering under the bed. Eventually, it, was, it just got so much it lifted the bed up and mm. bang, had gone. And that was about a year after. 
great material for a book, and it is. So that's what's in the um, in in from where we threw dogs. But ultimately, it was. I suppose anybody watching, it was just waiting for the car to actually hit the wall at some point and know that the crash was, you know, it was just going to be a big one. And of course, what Stephen did in that time, being a writer, he took all that pent-up anger, passion and energy and took it to Spain and went travelling around Spain, getting drunk, gathering material, exploring the country, the culture, and getting a real feel for this. And, And the feel that Stephen got during that period went on to aid him as he wrote his first novel. This is a small excerpt from that novel, From Where We Threw Dogs. shivering but alive alive with awe and laughter and lust we kiss deep and longing and desperate our clothes damp and clinging as we pushed and dragged each other back into the rain sarah squealed when more thunder struck i grabbed at her and she thrust at me in all the weeks we'd been in this country we'd only twice seen rain but each time i swear it flooded and cleanse with the passion of Christ. It was hours before the telephones returned, not that we cared. By then the smell of burnt technology had been replaced with the smell of backstreet tapas and fresh coffee. As we traded our doorway shelter for a nearby bar where the brandy was warming, our clothes could dry, and black and white photos of old footballers adorned the walls. What are you looking at? said Sarah. You, I said. Why? It was time to jump into the abyss. Because I love you. She took her time before she said, That's the first time you've said that to me. I got shy and honest and confessed, That's my fault. I should have said it sooner. But I haven't said it to you. I held her hand. You don't have to. She smiled and said, So now what do we do? Resting on the high stools, I dreamt myself back at the gorge. Sunlight would prick through the slightest crack in the massed clouds. Goats would break from cover to bask in its delicate heat. Travellers would grab at its respite, before shrugging and tugging at the cloaks and resuming their pace with vigour. I was standing at the height of the gorge, a willing witness to the storm rumbling and mumbling away like the bad-tempered old man I could easily become. Spain just I don't know just had bad dreams I had bad dreams for many years and then suddenly it I kind of got over it a little bit I made myself get over it 
it's just, you, you, know, you have to, otherwise life stops. Too much resting on my shoulders for life to stop. I probably put most of that on my shoulders myself rather than anybody else putting yeah. it on, but it was one of those that if I keep going, I will be fine. Yeah. Mm. Um, do, you, do you think that this is something we as men ought to consider? When we're doing the man thing and hiding or ignoring symptoms and signs and things, do we ever consider the fact that it will have, our ignorance of the facts will have a, a, an impact on those around us? No, because we're men. Well, <laughs> yeah. of course not. Of course, we never do that. We never. We're men. Why should we think that? No. Yeah. I, I think. I think. I think when you're in the midst, in the in the midst of it, and you're right in the heart of all this, that's, that's all the tumbling, that's all the falling apart that comes after some of these events. You you don't. Well, I certainly didn't. And after I lost my partner, I didn't. You know, I went through a year doing it, two years doing exactly the same. And then when you start to come out of it, you can, if you've got any semblance of, I think, humanity, you can look in a mirror and go, oh my word, what have I just done? And you can either put things right, or you just kind of put all that back in a box and do your bed as well. Mm. That was my experience anyway. Right. And I think, thankfully, I've been surrounded now by some very good people. You know, my partner's a wonderful woman now, and, and, and she's... I mean, she always was a wonderful woman and not just a wonderful woman now. I'd be in trouble for that one as well. But, you know, my partner, my, my personal partner, my, they, oh, I'm just going to beat her. Keep digging. <laughs> yeah, keep digging. Yeah. My, part, my partner is a wonderful woman and she's helped me a great deal. She's put all the pieces back together without a shadow of doubt and mm-hmm. her patience and understanding has been magnificent. Do you have anything to throw into that, Andy? Um, I think... We do a kind of curious combination thing of thinking we're responsible for everything but not valuing ourselves at all, which is a kind of fantastically paradoxical thing to pull off. If you could do it as a gymnast, you'd win every Olympic medal. Um, but, but So we kind of like, like you're talking about, like heaping, like I am responsible for whether it rains almost. Yes. Know, it's like I must take care of everything, I'm supposed to do everything, but actually at the same time treating ourselves in a way that doesn't, that doesn't uh, correspond with that sense of like, if we're supposedly all important in that way and responsible for everything, then why do we treat ourselves so poorly? Um, and that's the kind of paradox we get caught in. I got, I got pulled up a bit by a mate who uh, uh, was saying, how's it, how's it going, you know, and, uh, when I was pretty young. And, and I was like, well, I'm just doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and, and so on. And he said, steady, you know, there's only one of you. And... You know, that sense that actually, you know, for my kids, you know, as you experienced in losing your dad, you, you know, your kind of kids uh, will, will, you know, kind of struggle uh, if they've lost their parents before the time, if you like, and uh, the people who love you and care about you will, you know, kind of uh, experience a great loss, but that's the thing that's kind of common to things like depression as well, you know, that sense of like, oh, you know, I'm better off out of the way, I'm, you know, I just want out, you know, and actually, you know, we're, well... You know, people, you're remarkably important to other people. Yeah, I think this is what we ignore, isn't it? Mm. In fact, but we cheat ourselves too, don't we, by ignoring yeah. that fact. Yeah. I mean, my story um, was, was not particularly revelatory, but I, I remember, and I apologise to anybody who's heard this one before, when I was small, we used to go for, we lived at Highfields, and we used to go for a walk uptown, mm. the moor on a Sunday, when it was deserted. Mm. And... My mum used to say, stop running off in front, because your dad can't walk very fast. Mm. 
Now, at that point, my dad would have been in his late 20s. Right. And he had phlebitis, hardening of the arteries in his legs. Mm. And so, consequently, he couldn't walk very far at any speed. So, we'd get sort of halfway up the moor, and my dad might just have to stop for a minute, and then, you know. And as a kid, this was difficult to understand. I'd be about six or so, you know. And so, I was aware that there was a problem but at that age, you're just confronted with a problem that, all right, your dad can't walk very far very quickly, so that's it. That's a, it's a finite problem. That's an end to it. And then when I was about uh, 11 or 12, he began to have heart attacks. I think he had three. And uh, we were rushed up to the hospital in a taxi, or I was rushed up to the hospital in a taxi, with my mother, middle of the night, sort of thing, policeman knocking on the door, can you go and see your husband? He might not see the morning, sort of thing. And this happened several times. And after a while, it's a bit like hitting your thumb with a hammer, you stop feeling it. Mm. You know, there's just so much bruise there that mm. there's no nerve left. Mm. And, uh, and he, he recovered from those, and then he was ill for quite some time and went into uh, rehab and... Uh, you know, to get his, get his physicality back, which never really worked. Strange thing was, he'd always been a physical sort of man. He was a plumber. He, he was, uh, like you were saying, Stephen, he, he was a big man. He was six foot and a half and broad. Not like me, I hasten <laughs> to add. And, and so you grow up with this feeling that, that this is what life has in store for you. But the, the thing with my dad being in hospital and us being called out to see him so what felt like ad infinitum, you become, like I said about the, the thumb, you become immune to it almost, and, mm. and it, it just feels like it's just a part of an ongoing thing to which there is no real conclusion. Mm. Yeah. Then later on, about four or five years after he'd had that series of heart attacks, when I was about 18, he started again with thrombosis. And then he was taken in hospital, and, uh, and then he was out again, and then he was in again, then he was out again. And it, it seemed like a repeating pattern. Mm. And then he went in and they said, there's a problem with your blood. So they did some tests on him and found he got leukaemia. Mm. So they took him in that time. And then we spent three months hospital visiting again and visiting and, you know. And at the end of it, when he died, it was almost anticlimactic because it was something that you'd, you'd established this pattern from being yeah. a small child that this yeah. was, you know, these these were things that were mm. going to happen, but there was going to be no finite conclusion. Yeah. So it came as a, a rattling good shock, in a way, when mm. when he died. And I did what I do best, which is bury it. Mm. And so I carried that around with me for a, a long, long time. But it made me very aware of my mortality. And I began to fear that when I got to 42, like my dad was, that I was going to have similar problems. Right. So... Uh, for a few years, getting up towards there, I was uh, probably in my early thirties. I was one of the doctor's best patients. Right. And, you know, the worried, worried <laughs> yeah. well. So I, I, I didn't hide it, but I overcompensated for the possibility mm. that I might have a problem. Until one of them said to me, "You know, you are not the same as your father was." You must be more like your mother because you yeah. don't have any of the symptoms that yeah. your father displayed. Sure. And when I got to 37, it was like this genie coming out of the box. 
And for some reason, I slipped into 37 like putting on an old pair of slippers. Mm. It just felt like I'd always been there at, right. at 37. And all this tension and, uh, and anxiety I'd felt didn't actually go away, but I made it a part of me. I didn't bury it again. I sort of accepted it. Right. But that didn't stop the anxiety from reappearing. Right. Because I'd buried it for so long. It had actually changed the way I'd lived my life. It had changed the way I'd interacted with people. There were lots of people that didn't like me. They probably still are now. I don't care, which is a good sign. But there were two, two lots of people in my life. There were people who knew me sort of up to about 40, and then people who have known me since then. And there are two very different right. groups of people right. with two very different opinions on me. Mm. So, you know, it led to this sort of dichotomy in my life and this diversion. And that suddenly at 37 to 40, I became me. Yeah. But me has a tendency to anxiety. Mm. Now, I've gone way past 42, as you can tell just by looking at me. And none of these things that occurred to my father have occurred to me, apart from angina, which kicked in last year. But when you go down to the cardiac department, you find yourself sat there with a lot of other people who look just like you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just that sort of age. And I asked the surgeon what, what was the problem, and he said it's fair wear and tear. Yeah. He said your arteries are remarkably good for your age, and uh, it's just a couple of little bits where it's narrowed, and it's just fair wear and tear. So don't worry about it. Have a sneer. Have a stent. Thousand pounds a time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the curious thing about that was when he, he asked he asked my opinion when I was laid out there with a wire up my arm. Yeah. Uh, he asked me what I wanted him to do, right. and, and I found that quite strange to mm. be honest. But anyway, that's that's my story. So I, right. I I grew up with this waiting to experience the things that had happened to my father. Yeah. For a long, long time, and it really coloured and flavoured everything to do with my life at that time until I accepted that I wasn't my father. Yeah. That, that goes back to, you know, say about the, um, having the gallbladder out and the symptoms being the same as a heart attack. That happened in my late 30s. Yeah. And I'm there thinking, you know, and I had two of these heart attack style attacks yeah, whilst I've been with the family and I've been on holiday and things like this. And I sit there on the edge of, I remember sitting on the edge of a bed in Greece thinking, not now. It can't happen to me now. Mm. I'm not old enough. It'll happen to me when I'm early 60s because that's what happened to my dad. I'm, right. It's not yeah. going to happen to me now. You know, and yeah. it's then, yeah. excuse me, ended back in Sheffield and it happening again and people have actually seen it. Instead of me taking myself off and hiding it, people actually seeing it and turning around and going, let's get you to A&E quickly because something's not right. I mean, thankfully, it's a, it was a gallbladder, it wasn't a heart attack. But, so, but it's that whole sense of, I there's almost like, I think that I think there's a romance to it as well. Maybe it's our generation, and perhaps it's not there in the low in the younger generations. And that's not. I'm not saying that in a derogatory thing. I think it's a good thing if they don't have the same attitude of romance. We're men. We put it in a box. We put it under a, mm. under a bed. You bury it. Whatever you do, and you keep going. Is that what society expects us to do? I don't know whether it's society. Uh, or a generation thing. I do think at the moment there's more... I think there's a romance now about mental health. Yeah. Um, which is, a, I think, is, personally, is a problem for me. I mean, you, you, know, Andy, you, you spend more time in it. You know, I, just, I just stand outside looking in and right. writing down words. You know, that's what I do for a living. But 
what I've seen amongst the younger generation, I think there is a romance around mental health, which sometimes is a very good thing because it's allowing people to get uh, a greater awareness of, of the problems that we face. And I think a lot of, a ridiculous amount of people face. But at the same token, there's a lot of people then that jump on the bandwagon and go, yeah. oh, I've got this, I've got that or whatever. And, and But I think the, the, the good side of it all is that people become more aware of who they are and what they feel and what they think and, you know, not being strange, not being stood outside and all the rest of it. They they can address their problems a lot more uh, positively than, than our generation can. I, mean, so you, I, th- you I think, think it's our generation, you know, or maybe the generation directly after us, just pain is good. Yeah, so you, you think this is helping to counteract the sort of uh, I'm a man and I'm burying it yeah. problem? Yeah, I'd hate... I'd hate to see my son go through, you know, and indeed my daughter, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I'm not, not again digging a hole for myself here, but I'd hate to see my children go through the same uh, process that I went through when my dad died. I'd yeah. hate to think of them going, "There's a box. I'm putting it under the bed, and eventually it will explode. Yeah. And when it explodes, it's messy as hell." Yeah, mm. yeah. I'd hate for them to go through that. I'd so, know. so tell me, just a quick one. You're, you're. You're in your early 50s? Yeah. Right. How do you feel about approaching 60? Uh, it's a long way off. It yeah. better be... A, if, oh, I keep thinking... I tell them <laughs> it's a long way off. It's, it it's, comes quicker than you think. It probably will do, yeah. Um, I, I, like you, when you you know, you said about your, your dad went at a certain age, and as you approach that age, you thought, oh, yeah. God, here it comes. Yeah. I felt... I feel very similar. Early 60s, I'm... I'm, I'm I don't want to say I'm terrified by it, because, you know... If I went back six years, I probably would be terrified by yeah. it. But now, you know, there's an awful lot of good in my life and I'm thinking, you know, oh, we'll get through yeah. it. But I do feel that come if I get through 62, 63, I think, oh, I'm like my mother. I'm going to go forever. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, yeah. no stopping yeah. me. But and I, and I want to be, I'm, you know, I want to take after my mother. I don't want to take after my yeah. father in that mm. sort of sense. So, um, um, so do, you do, do you intend to do anything about this? Uh, I'm doing the typical man thing and going, well, I will. <laughs> I will. I'm busy at the moment. I'm really busy at the moment. I've got far too much on to actually think about my health and me. But, you know, it'll be all right. Because if I keep going at this sort of speed, then everything, I'm just keeping me fit and all the rest of it. But in truth, no, I need to do, I need to do stuff. Well, Andy, you underwent heart surgery recently. Yeah. You want to tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, as I was saying earlier, eventually the valve packed up. I had a few months of, of feeling pretty unwell. And uh, then in November 17, I had the, the valve replaced, having had a stent put in. And then just a couple of three months ago, I had the stent expanded. Uh, so I'm kind of now done officially and, uh, and have the new valve. What was the recovery period for that? It took a few months. I, I felt... Um, I think the thing is when you deteriorate and your activity level starts to drop and you don't necessarily realise it. So you, if you walk anywhere, you walk more slowly, you get the lift more than you do the stairs, etc., etc., etc. And so I'd not realised how, just how physically unfit I was. So it's like, you know, the, 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 the recovery period of maybe three to six months after the, the heart surgery, there I was kind of on the, on the kind of grid the start of it, like at the start of a Grand Prix with a with a great engine, but the rest of the car was shot. <laughs> um, so and and so it took quite a long time, and I feel like it's still an ongoing thing, really. 
rebuilding physical fitness and, and energy levels. I don't think I'm anywhere near the energy, energy levels that I would like to be at. Although the last thing they did, the kind of re, the kind of opening out of the stent and not being able to open it out fully first time round, felt like uh, I was saying to a friend the other day, I felt like a greyhound on speed or something. Like I kind of walked up to the Irish hospital to get my blood stone, and I'd walked up there and be, had this, you know, te- uh, taken some blood, and I'd started walking down before I'd thought about what I was doing. Yeah. Whereas you know, for a long time it had been okay, left foot. Action time, <laughs> right foot. Don't think you're getting away with it. You're turn now, <laughs> and, and so just getting anywhere, just going across the post office from my office where I work. You know, it's like hundred yards. So, so I'm now starting to feel the benefit, but it takes time, and and it requires a certain amount of investment as well to to you know from yourself in terms of you know kind of there, there are good programs there in terms of cardiac rehab and stuff, and it's just. You know, trying to take part in stuff. Yeah, I'm undergoing that at the moment. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and enjoying it too. Yeah. Uh, it's very different. There are lots of people that go there have this look about them sometimes that they've been sent, if you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, they've got, they've got salt I mean, lines I, or they've got. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I, I go there and I run around. I start 10 minutes before everybody else and, yeah. you know, and don't take the breaks in between. So. Uh, you're like you say you're investing in your future mm. uh, well actually I'm investing in my present because I, mm. I want to feel much better than I did yeah so yeah. anyway is there anything just to sum this up is there anything you would you would say I mean were you surprised at the level of support you got from your family and friends yeah everybody was great I mean it's really improved some of my relationships uh, I, th- I think the main thing is it's like I could have put I either put my partner's mind at rest or, you know, begun to get uh, some tracking of what was going on much sooner if I'd been prepared to just go to the doctors and, and just say, can you just check me out? Or rather than hide it, you know, rather than thinking, hey, they miss me, you know, yeah. result. It's like, what kind of thinking is that? Um, you know, there's the amazing health service we've got, or, or you know, trying well, to hang on to. You had the health service. I have a Brianny who says... Right. <laughs> Are you sure you're all right? Is there something... I think you ought to go and see the doctor or, uh, you know... Yeah. Yeah, think, there's something you can do about that. I think the thing know. is that, that you kind of think, if I if I own up God and bless say you. there's something wrong, then I might have to make some changes to the way I do things. I don't want to. Because, you know, most of us are fairly change-resistant. And so, you know, you have to kind of... You have to respond, you know, it's kind of... Uh, It'd be pointless to have had all this stuff done and, and, and all the investment and all the skills involved in doing it and all this, you know, some of it was frightening to do all that and then not kind of make that investment in whether it's a little bit of change, walking a bit more, using the bus around the car. It's just, it's not like it's, you know, you're not having to split It's not atom. massive, is it? No, it's no. not massive. And I think, that's the, I think that's one of the things that's really important actually is that. We tend to always think that if we're going to make change, it's got to be massive. Mm. That we've got to go from like swimming in breath to being like Mark Spitz or whatever. It's like irreappropriate celebrity naming uh, for, for us in our fifties. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, that will the Olympics yeah. this time. No idea. Um, so um, you know, whereas it's not, it is like well, do a length rather than a width, and maybe if you've managed a length regularly, to try two. 
walk yeah. walk between you know walk where you're going to get a paper yeah. and walk rather than well, drive. One know, of the things, yeah, one of the things we've done is we stopped doing a big supermarket shop. We shop locally, mm. right? I suppose by the time you factor in petrol and what have you, it's, it's no more expensive than yeah, you know, to shop locally. But it does mean it's three quarters of a mile to the shops and back. Yeah, and we do that most days, sometimes yeah. twice. Yeah, so you know it, it's uh, it's a no brainer. It's nothing massive. Yeah, but. It doesn't half put your steps up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody counts the steps these days. Yeah, yeah. And it uh, yeah. really puts them up. So. It changes. I, I try and make sure that we're on the... It's like effectively the fifth floor in the in the building that we're in at work. And, and trying to make sure that at least once a day that I do the stairs on the yeah. lift. Andy has a song here called Freight Train. And Freight Train is the weight we all carry. But we think we're carrying it manfully and managing the way nobody's noticing, but in reality, everyone sees it. You've been trying too hard, I can tell. Laughing too loud, drinking too much. Something that you can't touch Oh, every time I see you I
Football is keel over at an early age. I play the football. I play football, uh, but I, I I'm not doing anything else, and I, that's the. And I know full well. You know, I sit here and I go, "You're going to hear this back, Stephen, and you're going to go, you idiot." And so probably everybody else is doing. It. I'm, just, you know, every once a week I go out and I run myself into the ground and I throw myself about like I was thirty. I that's what my brain and my imagination tells me I'm doing anyway. Um, all the people I play with will put up with shaking their heads going no Stephen no um, but you weren't even that good at 30 <laughs> might have lost half the yard yeah, yeah. yeah but are you a 90 <laughs> minute are you a 90 minute player no it's like, well yeah nearly 90 minutes yeah, yeah. better than Wayne Rooney anyway yeah well yeah yeah, yeah. and um, but um, uh, yeah so I do that and I'm not doing anything else so then after I've played I'm yeah. Absolutely shot. I'm in an absolute mess. My back's problematic. My knees are gone. You know, but more importantly, I can feel it inside me. I'm not as fast as I used to be. I'm not mm. as fit. We've got some youngsters who play with us, and I could, I could quite merrily take an elephant gun out onto this pitch with me. And just say, <laughs> I've had enough of you running around like that. You know, it, it's. I know. I know full well that I should be doing something other than than just playing football because just playing football ultimately is going to have. A very big detrimental effect on me I think mm. if I'm not supporting the body elsewhere ready to be able to play football yeah, yeah but the problem I've got and it goes back to almost like this romance thing or this age thing at the moment is that I think the moment I accept that I should be doing something other than playing football is the moment I realize I'm over 50 and my body's yeah, not what it used yeah, to be and yeah. I'm not a young man and yeah, I, I'm yeah. not throwing myself around and I, there is a huge amount of uh, deception going on that yeah. says, I don't want to give up on this, what I once was, to become the next part, next, you know, the yeah. next evolution yeah. that we all go through, because I'm not ready to do that. Mm. I'm mentally not ready to do that. But the body's trying to tell me at this moment in time, for goodness sake, man, don't be, you know, don't be the fool that you are, mm. and, and accept that right now, I can't run like I used to do. No, but you can push yourself hard, can't you, up to your own limitations but I think I'm, I'll be honest with you I think at the moment the body is telling me that the limitations are, are being left well well behind <laughs> I, I, I think this is really important about the, 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 the kind of it's part of the adaptation to change and changing role that that yeah we can have uh, really fulfilling lives they're kind of they're just a bit different yes. to, to what they were so like with, with work uh, we, we did walking football and I thought well I'll have a go because um, I had to show willing and I thought, at the end of a couple of games, I just thought, well, this is meant. And, it's, and I thought, well, why? What's, you know, it feels just like playing football. And I, I thought, well, okay, so football's about meeting up with a bunch of people and having a laugh, a bit of good nature, joshing at each other and, you know, whatever, and enjoying making a pass, enjoying making mm. a tackle, enjoying scoring a goal like you're nine years old, just because it's just such a remarkable thing to do and rare uh, in my case. <laughs> yeah, <it's> um, <laughs> and... Uh, 
uh, and, and, and all this, there's a bit of exercise and I feel knackered at the end of it. It's got, and it, it's so short, it's got me out of the house. But it's actually, it's probably just got exactly the same things that are really important to me that as, as playing football whenever, you know. I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm just about giving up on the idea of playing for Wednesday. Uh, well, I thought it might be the communal bath and the pub after. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some, some some seasons it's closer than others. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I take my boots everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but it is that sense of like, well, you know, what are the things that I really enjoy about this? Does it, you know, is it the tanking about um, sort of side of it? Um, if so, how can I kind of find a different way of? So you know, I think I think it is a really important element that uh, that kind of because of what it means. Yeah. The meaning is uh, a. I'm not going to live forever. B. I'm not as fit as I was, and my life's changing. I'm not kind of you know kind of in any sort of sphere of my life. Uh, my what I, what I can achieve, what I can't achieve is changing. But it might be some new stuff to replace some of the old stuff, and, and if we can manage that, it'd be grand. In ten words or less. How would you sum up your situation regarding, you know, what, what do men need to do about medical things or what are you going to do about uh, your situation? Men need to stop approaching? being arses, um <laughs> and be realistic about themselves and that we're not superheroes. This is far more than 10 words, but we're not superheroes and we need to learn that we're not superheroes and we need to stop looking at... Women going about the the, the 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 shaming, you know, the whole, whole body shaming and all the rest of it. Men have got it. I think men have got it exactly the same, slightly different. We we, we, we are not made of steel, and we're not um, we're not superheroes. We're going to have to learn that. I think even at a young age, people need to learn that. Pain is great. Pain can be great fun, but at the same time, don't ignore it. Right. Thank you, Stephen. Andy. I think if there's something that's not feeling right then there's no harm in going and getting checked out. Because, like, the, the, obviously you can go and be told, you know what, there's actually nothing wrong with you, or, you're, you know, you, you're a bit mineral deficient or whatever. Or it might be that something can be spotted early, it can be spotted early, and it can be treated in, like, a less invasive way. Then, uh, you know, I've got... Um, been totally kippered down the front here, and uh, uh, and you know, and it's quite an assault to get over. However brilliant they are, your body doesn't realise that they're on your side. It's just somebody taking you apart with a knife and a saw, um, and it's it's you know, it's not pleasant. So, if you can get make changes or get support and get help, whether it's what whatever element of it is, the psychological, emotional, physical side of it, get it and. Uh, and, and get that get that in place and then work outwards from there. I think we experience a great potential sense of, or sense of potential shame to go and be told that there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, how dreadful. That, what a, what a terrifying yeah. thing. I yeah, think there's shame to be told that there is something wrong with you as well. Well, yeah, well, yeah you can't uh, well, that, that's the fear. But, yeah. the, but there is also this sense of shame going... You know that I don't understand my body. I've come here thinking there's something wrong, yeah. and you're telling me there's there's nothing wrong. Yeah. What have I misread? What's, yeah. What's Why am I not capable of reading yeah. this, this thing? Yeah. There are all sorts of mixed emotions around get, getting in early, but uh, I think getting in early is an absolute essential thing <coughs> to do. And one of the things we've got to do now is get Andy back to work. Now, he's going to be late, not early. So I'd like to thank you, Andy Whitehouse. Thank you. Singer and wonderful songwriter. I got that Thanks, the right Steve. way around, I think. 
And And Stephen Miller, writer extraordinaire, a good friend. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks, lads. All right. Take care. You've just been listening to another excellent podcast from Urban Tiger Radio, sponsored by Cybermouse Multimedia. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, don't forget to click the little heart button on your way out and let everyone else know that you like it. So, once again, that's a goodbye from me and a... from now. Bye.